Uh, Rebecca Davis, good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. I must admit, I too am entirely ignorant on the oeuvre of Mr. Gurna, but I feel these days that is practically a prerequisite for the Nobel Prize in Literature. <laughs> if you've heard of them, they are automatically disqualified from consideration. Uh, unless, of course, they're awarding it to Bob Dylan. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Rebecca, um, the DA has apologised for the posters and is taking them down. Dean McPherson is taking this all on his shoulders. He says in his apology statement, in my sincere effort to honour the bravery and heroism of law-abiding citizens who were left to fend for themselves during the July riots and insurrections, the posters have regretfully caused hurt to some people. I'm deeply sorry and apologise for this. As these posters were unsanctioned by the DA leader, party structures and party campaign leadership, I'm arranging for the removal of those posters today. Sometimes in politics our words may be poorly chosen, but I wish to assure the public without contradiction that my intentions are always sincere. Do you buy that? Absolutely not. I think this was dog whistle politics of the most appalling kind, John. And, I mean, we've had reporting on what happened inside the DA this week, including the suggestion, which I do totally believe, that Dean McPherson said in a meeting, we can afford to lose the black vote in case and we can't afford to lose the Indian vote. And that is precisely what these posters were aimed at. It was pandering of the worst kind, lowest common denominator politics to Indian people in Phoenix. And Don, what I found most despicable about these posts, for a start, they're not even original. As I noted in my own reporting on Phoenix and Chatsworth after the July unrest, the original version, so to speak, of these posters was put up by a pharmacy in Chatsworth saying, this particular pharmacy salutes our heroes. And even at the time, that was deemed by the community as being hugely divisive because to to call the actions of those in the community who were manning these controversial barricades as heroes, in particular the black residents of those suburbs, sounded hugely, hugely offensive. And frankly, John, I understand why. Let us just revisit what happened in Phoenix for a second Two victims were burnt to death. One was stabbed to death. One was run over by a car. One woman was dragged out of her car and her car was set alight. These were not the actions of heroes, John. There is, of course, political mileage to be made out of what happened in July. And we've seen the IFP, for instance, is making it a major pillar of its campaigning towards the local government elections. One can say, for instance, how horrifying it is that ordinary citizens were required to defend their property and their communities in the absence of the police. One can say how horrifying it is that ordinary citizens were out there looting shops for bread and rice and even flat screen TVs. What is not acceptable, John, is to say, let's call what happened in Phoenix heroic actions. There is overwhelming evidence at this point that what happened in Phoenix, although they were the actions of a small group of people, were really the most horrific kind of race based vigilantism and the, the, the DA knows that and the DA has pandered most shamefully to the lowest common denominator here and I am so relieved that they have taken down these posters I also w- w- want to say John, what does it say about the DA what does this tell us about the DA first of all, the DA seems 
overwhelmingly willing to sacrifice black votes in a way that is so reckless that it beggars belief, honestly, in a country where you cannot hope to have any form of meaningful opposition without winning votes of black voters. And the only conclusion I can come to is that they don't have black donors, so that there is no fear in that part of, of offending the people they clearly are pandering to the most. And secondly, if it is indeed true that Dean McPherson was solely responsible, as it seems to be, if we believe the insider's account, then it is Stunning the degree to which personal friends of John Steenhaven and white men in the DA are given free reign to set party policy. One can only imagine the response if a Pumzile van Dam had taken it upon herself to stick up posters with any messaging she sees fit in Cape Town, for instance. It is honestly a dark day for the DA this week, and this is the only sensible resolution of this incident. Yeah, we, we did ask, uh, just for the record, we did ask for an interview with Dean McPherson and he declined that request, probably because he knew I would ask him, is it true that you said in a meeting we can afford to lose the black vote, we can't afford to lose the Indian vote? I suspect that one of the reasons why he's not doing interviews with me and with the many other journalists who are asking for interviews is because of that. It, Somebody has just WhatsApp to me to say, of course you don't believe the DA statement, you hate the DA. Is there a... Is there a way of saying that, uh, no, I mean, I can't even advance the argument as a kind of devil's advocate, the, the argument that the, the vigilantes are not the people I was referring to. The people I was referring to as heroes are those people who defended private property without resorting to violence. I mean, it's just obvious nonsense because of the fact that the posters are rolled out in Phoenix, which has been notorious epicenter of vigilantism in the July unrest. And yes, perhaps they were going to roll them out all over Etiquini, as Dean McPherson has claimed. But the fact that you start in Phoenix cannot be, cannot possibly be a coincidence. And I hate this. I mean, this really is dog whistle politics, and it is so disingenuous to claim that, oh no, we're talking about the law-abiding citizens. You are not. You are talking about the Indian vigilantes who killed black people in Phoenix. And it's despicable. It is despicable race baiting from a party which consistently claims to hold the non-racial center. And for goodness sake, that is what we actually need in this country. We need more of that. The DA, if it is to be a responsible political contributor to our environment, needs to put its money where its mouth is. These are fraught times, John. You know, we cannot have ostensibly responsible, mature parties behaving in this manner. It's a race to the bottom in terms of racial politics. The ANC does it. The EFF does it. Do they, John? Do they? Because have we seen the ANC put up posters suggesting, for instance, that I don't know, the black people who killed white farmers should be lauded as heroes? Have we seen that? I don't think we've seen that. I don't think we've seen anywhere near as overt a campaign, a race-based campaign from the ANC as we have from this one from the DA. The EFF, of course, but nobody expects anything different from the EFF. That's their entire political brand is race-baiting and divisiveness. So that's the close-up on the DA. Let's uh, roll the camera back and have a wider shot, which involves um, the political parties who've done manifesto launches, uh, which you have been covering. Uh, you would like to make some general observations. You know, I would, John, and actually they're quite upbeat, my observations in this regard, which might surprise you. I've been watching a whole lot of these manifesto launches because I've been covering it for the Daily Maverick. And really, I, I come out of almost all of them feeling 
pretty pretty jolly about the state of the nation. You know, I feel like there's good ideas all over the show from these smaller parties. There's there are politicians who seem genuinely, you know, kind of sincere and committed to to changing the country. And the, the what what I feel mostly is if only we could pool these good ideas and these good politicians and just hand over the running of the country. You know, I was watching the the good party, for instance. The good party says, you know what, we are just going to be unashamed about this and say that in municipalities we need to skew resources to the poor. And that seems like such a common sense idea to me that I was really struck by. You have the UDM, this kind of unlikely party, you know, Bantu Holomisa, it's so Eastern Cape based, it's kind of this political dinosaur in some ways. Yet the UDM is really leading the charge on climate change, of all things. I don't know if you will see another political party leader explain to his crowd, meticulously in Isikosa, in the way that Bantu Holomisa did this election season, what the effects of climate crisis are going to be on the Eastern Cape, why it's important to talk about soil erosion and stuff like that. I was I was so taken by that. The IFP wants special corruption courts. Maybe that's a, you know, whistling into the wind. Maybe that would be an awesome idea. Maybe it would be like a FIFA World Cup court. The ATM wants this emphasis on the merchant economy. It says, look at Kenya. There is so little unemployment because so much of the economy is propped up by the informal sector, by the merchant economists. And John, when I watch these little parties, you know, they have support. You know, it's not like these are just operating in a vacuum. They have kind of perhaps small-scale, close-knit support, but there is support there. You know, there are these pockets of real political energy and really kind of legitimate opposition to the ANC that I think perhaps we ignore as the media, but they exist and there is a kind of, I think there is a goodwill towards changing the future of South Africa that really reassures me, actually. And I mean, it doesn't help me in terms of voting, that's for sure. It just it just means that, you know, we scoff at these smaller parties, I think, at our peril because there's good stuff out there. Because the bigger parties tell us not to vote for the smaller parties because that splits the vote and means the chances of getting the ANC out of power are less. Let's move on to something which is not uh, politics, or is the politics of social media politics as well? Do Harry and Meghan say we should only be online for 20 minutes at a time? They do, John. Apparently, if you are scrolling through their Archwell website for hours at a time, and who among us has not done that recently, you will be confronted with a pop-up message after 20 minutes saying, we love having you here, but we're mindful of screen time. Why not take a break? We'll be here. I mean, jokes aside, John, I cannot for the life of me fathom why anyone other than perhaps journalists would be spending that much time on the Archwell website, which is, of course, the charity arm of, of Harry and Meghan. That aside... 20 minutes, the idea that you can only spend 20 minutes on a screen before you have to take a break is lovely. Honestly, I love that. I love that for us as a people. But how on earth are you expected to get any work done if you have to be popping up from your desk every 20 minutes like an ADHD teenager? What did you do, John, when the great Facebook WhatsApp Instagram crash happened on Monday? I bet you're going to tell me you weren't even aware. Sorry, predictable. I wasn't even aware. I myself went straight onto iMessage. I was frantically jonesing for an alternative communication system, and I found it in iMessage, a 
platform I never use and have never used since, but it really did strike me how absolutely enthralled we are to these terrible technologies. But Don, as I mentioned to you, the real reason why I wanted to talk about Harry and Meghan was in order to very smoothly segue to Diana the Musical, which is a musical extravaganza currently showing on Netflix. Have you perhaps seen it, Don? Perhaps not. You have not. It is taking the world by storm simply because it is quite possibly the worst. So I went to the cinema to watch Cats, the musical, the movie, that, you know, universally panned product. And I can tell you, Cats, the musical, the movie is so much better than Diana, the musical. It makes it makes Diana, the musical makes Cats look like a Fellini film. It is unspeakably bad, John. Here are some of the lyrics. Diana singing to Harry in his cradle. Oh, Harry, my gingerhead son, you'll always be second to none. Those are actual lyrics from Diana, the musical. (laughs) She sings of needing a prince to rescue her from her prince. If there's one thing you do this week to take your mind off everything that's happening, go to Netflix, watch Diana, the musical. It is unspeakable. (laughs) I do like watching the unspeakable. It's why I became a journalist. Rebecca Davis, back with another Plan B tomorrow.